Hello, NetSuite listeners. Welcome all, and thanks so much for tuning in to the NetSuite podcast. I'm Megan O'Brien, host of our Office of the CFO series on the NetSuite podcast and NetSuite's resident business and finance editor. On this episode, I'm joined by Connor Ray, CFO and co-founder of Johnny Pops, a frozen treats company based in Minnesota. We get into how he co-founded a company from his college dorm room, struggles and successes and growing, and advice for those uh, who also want to bring their vision to the world. For those with an entrepreneurial spirit, this is a can't-miss podcast. So stay tuned. It's going to be a delicious episode. You're listening to the NetSuite Podcast, where we discuss what's happening within NetSuite, why we're doing it, and where we're heading in the future. We'll dive into the details about the software and the people at NetSuite who are behind all the moving parts. We'll also feature customer growth stories, discussing the ups and downs of running a company and how one integrated system can help your business continue to scale. Hi, Connor. How are you doing today? I am doing very well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. We're really excited to have you on. Absolutely. Thrilled to be here. Perfect. And so... Of course, we're doing an icebreaker. Here we go. If you could learn one new personal skill, uh, language, sport, instrument, whatever it might be, what would it be? I, you know, I, I think it might be learning to fly. And I don't necessarily mean that in the superhero sense, although I take that if available. If, if it's uh, an option. <laughs> but, uh, you know, even learning to, to fly uh, an airplane, being a pilot, well off the usual day-to-day that fills my schedule. So it uh, seems like a, a cool hobby to pick up. I mean, I'm thinking it's kind of, a, I think you should expense that. It's a business expense because you could just be like, well, I'll just fly myself to the meeting. Don't worry, guys, I got you. <laughs> I think you're overestimating the amount of travel I'm doing. <laughs> But I like the creative thinking. I, I'm just trying to like find the way that we can make this happen, I, because I love it. I think that would be such a cool thing to learn. Uh, yeah, I, you know, it's. Uh, I have a friend who's recently started their journey as a as a pilot. Uh, you know, getting their license, and uh, it, it sounds quite thrilling. Yeah, a, a lot of hard work. I gotta imagine too. I, I hope a lot of hard work. You would hope I so. I hope a lot of hard work. Hurtling through the air at a couple hundred miles an hour, you would hope there's some good hard work yeah, it's that not just right goes in. into that preparation. Watch an intro video, okay? <laughs> well, without further ado, let's jump in. So you and your company, you have a fascinating background. So I do want to start all the way from the beginning. Uh, it kind of works out better for us because I always like to start from the beginning with CFO podcast and so we start back in college but now we get to start at the beginning and it covers both the company and the CFO journey so you attended San Olaf's for college and you majored in computer science and economics what led you to chose those majors you know I went to school with a hope to blend you know some of the soft business skills that might be out there and St. Olaf is a liberal arts college so there was not a a business program per se you know there was an opportunity to take some business classes and I think they call it an emphasis within kind of the economics department Um, and blend some of that interest in economics and business with some good hard technical uh, you know sciences type education as well. I actually thought that the path I would take was more economics and physics maybe end up with some engineering expertise Um, but I got into the physics 
track uh, and decided that it was not for me, but was fortunate to encounter um, through some of our laboratory work uh, some computer programming as a part of the physics curriculum. Um, and that was something that I was pretty interested in and passionate about, seemed to have a knack for. Certainly, uh, you know, when you look in, looked into it, you know, and this was 2010, 2011, excellent field from a knowledge-based career prospects, you know, the value that that education could bring. And so I swapped out of physics and into uh, computer science and uh, got that blend of hard technical skill know-how and in business, uh, you know, skills uh, as well uh, out of that. So it, uh, it it worked out for me. I really enjoyed both of them. And, uh, you know, I've still got that uh, that computer science background. So if uh, if nothing none of this works out, I can go uh, go become a software engineer. It's always a good backup, right? <laughs> the employment prospects are real solid. They're looking good, but you don't need it because... So you... T- talk about the timeline of this because... Essentially, you started working on your company, Johnny Pops, in college. Is that correct? Yeah, that that is correct. So while I was in school, um, you know, I had this interest in entrepreneurship. Uh, is something that maybe at some point in my life uh, might get around to having an idea, starting a business. Uh, it was is kind of a cool thing, but I didn't come from a background where that was, you know, something that I had exposure to, knew how to do. So it was this kind of off at some point in the future, maybe I'll get to it. But I had a group of friends, uh, one of whom was my current business partner uh, and our CEO at Johnny Pops, uh, Eric Brust, who uh, approached myself and a group of our friends about the idea for a better tasting, better for you frozen treat that he had actually had a few years previously and started working on with his cousin, Jonathan. And while they had been working on this idea and figuring out how they could bring it to the market, unfortunately, Jonathan passed away. And so, uh, very understandably, Eric stopped working on on the, the business concept. Uh, but fast forward a few years, you know, we had this shared interest in, in entrepreneurship, uh, and Eric still had a lot of passion for this idea. Thought that there was a market opportunity for better tasting, better for you frozen treats, kind of smoothie on a stick type products, mm-hmm. and a and an opportunity to honor Jonathan's memory. And so that's where our name comes from, Johnny Pops, and the foundation of our mission to make a better pop for a better world, uh, which means a lot of things to us. You know, one of the ways that we do that uh, and connect to our communities is on every uh, every stick of every one of our pops. We don't print a joke. We don't print a quote. We print a little good deed that encourages people uh, to pay it forward. Uh, we have a, a program and a set of products that, that works with schools to talk about kindness and anti-bullying. Uh, and, and we've supported addiction recovery research and rehabilitation as well. That's amazing. And, and I love hearing the story behind the name as well. Um, it, it's very sentimental. Yeah, it is. You know, I never myself personally you know, knew Jonathan. I didn't meet Eric until several years after the fact. But, you know, I, I know that, that, that it means a lot. Uh, you know, and, and that was obviously the impetus for uh, picking the idea back up and, and running with it. And, you know, our mission is something I absolutely believe in. And it's super important to everyone who works at Johnny Pops that, you know, we're working on something that's bigger, uh, bigger than the sum of its parts. So that was in 2012 uh, when we started working on the business, uh, you know, and we were all recruited uh, as the case may be. Uh, So you, you do the math there. Johnny Pops is turning 10 this year, which is a super exciting Congratulations. milestone That's huge. Uh, for us. And uh, at the time, we were actually just mid 
midstream on our college careers when we started working on the business. And so we were actually starting during the summers between our sophomore and our junior year and our junior year and our senior year selling uh, Johnny Pops at farmer's markets and, you know, pushing carts to beaches to you know, sell them to people there. Um, and it was a grind. You know, we were figuring out how to make the product, how to overcome regulatory hurdles, uh, you know, how to grow our business and, uh, you know, what, what new markets we might be able to break into. And we did that for a couple of years, You're growing at a steady clip. You know, it might have been six farmers markets the first year and 14 the second summer. And, and the reception to the product was something that was really, uh, really strong and really positive. And so when we were faced with the choice uh, as we were looking to graduate uh, college in 2014 of what do we go do, um, we made the decision that there was enough opportunity here to prove a concept with, with the direct-to-consumer sales we had done uh, to go and build out a, a manufacturing facility, uh, start working on the business full-time, you know, forego real jobs, and, um, and and start bringing, you know, outside capital, additional employees, uh, and seeing, uh, you know, if we could realize our dream of, of taking Johnny Pops from kind of a local product to a, a national brand. And that's the, the, the journey that we're still on, you know, now, eight years past that point, 10 years into our journey as a whole, uh, you can find our products in all 50 states, over 10,000 retail locations. We export to a few foreign countries, um, have continued to expand our manufacturing facility, uh, and are actually in the process of moving into a, another, a new facility to expand our capacity even further later this year. That's amazing. And so did you meet Eric, your uh, co-founder, did you meet him in college or did you yes, know him absolutely. beforehand? No, okay. we did not meet until, uh, until we were at school together at St. Olaf. Okay. And um, so let's talk, one thing I want to pick up on is you mentioned kind of that process of raising capital. What did that look like for you guys? For us, um, you know, when we made that decision to say we were going to you know, we were, we were going to try and do this uh, at a full-time basis. We then said, what is that? What does it need to look like for that to actually work economically? Uh, and so we sat down and we wrote out a business plan. And we were able to leverage some resources at the school to help us do that. And then enter that business plan into a variety of competitions. So our school actually had a business plan or a startup business competition called the Oldie Cup, uh, kind of a pitch competition. Uh, that we entered and, and won and, and received a small amount of seed capital from that and then also a referral to a larger statewide competition in Minnesota called the Minnesota Cup, uh, which we also participated in and won. Uh, you know, our division our, uh, of that competition as well, which we received even more seed capital from. Uh, and so that was a starting point for us. And then the exposure from those competitions, you know, lots of uh, mentors and investors are are participants or judges in those types of events and processes so we not only came away with you know with, with, with some victorious you know, victory and rewards uh, but we also came away with a whole new set of connections uh, that we were able to use to you know kind of further um, close out the amount of capital that we needed to bring in to build out a true manufacturing facility uh, and, and get on our way how did you know um if if I was starting a business, I don't think I would know what to do first to like, oh my gosh, do I get capital? Do I write a business plan? Do I like, do I try to like build out this? I wouldn't know where to go. How did you kind of build that process for yourself? Was it a lot of research or trial and error? 
Uh, you know, I, I think it's a combination of both mm-hmm. uh, because there certainly was a lot of research that was done. We also certainly didn't get everything right the first time. Um, you know, I'm not convinced there's only one path there because when you're starting from nothing, you know, think about building a building from the ground up. Part of what you're asking here is which wall do you build first? Well, you certainly can't put the roof on before you build the walls, but you might be able to start with the front wall or the back wall. That choice isn't as important. And so, you know, some things we did in a certain order because it worked for us. Uh, some things we tried to do in the wrong order and we had to go back, but by and large, you know, we were able to see our way through it from, from ground zero to, to building up towards where we wanted to go. Mm-hmm. I like that analogy because I think you do sometimes see businesses in Silicon Valley for the most part who maybe put the roof on first and get a little too excited and then they realize, oh no, we did too much. We went this way too soon. <laughs> yeah, it, that, that can certainly happen. Um, you know, and, and for us, it, it's, it's, it can be a little overwhelming to be in that point of I have so few of the things I know I need to get to where I want to go. But you do have to start somewhere, you know. So the bias towards action is helpful. Yes, trial and error is almost always a part of it. You know, even I think experienced entrepreneurs who have been through the process a few times, it's not always the same sequence, you know, the same path for different uh, businesses. Uh, so there's a set of things you know, again that have to happen before you can do others, but it, it's not just one way to get it done. Right. And what did it, you kind of touched on uh, those college years, uh, sophomore, junior, senior? Were you kind of working on the business in between classes? What did that look like? We definitely were. You know, from a peak season standpoint it was actually a great fit because the majority of our sales definitely happened when there were no classes you know we were able to take the summers and work on the business uh but we would use the the school year to prepare and grow our business you know when we talked about making that transition from this being kind of a part-time thing to to that full time right in the business plan going full-time well all of that had to happen between the end of our you know summer between junior and senior year and the end of our senior year or we were going to hit hit the wall uh when when that time came so uh it was between classes it was nights and weekends you know we were manufacturing product we were doing it all to to make that possible and what did manufacturing look like in those early years was it was it you making pop like uh making frozen treats was it well i have definitely made pops uh (laughs) at various points in time and certainly the early days is a big part of that you know it started very simple. I mean, a blender and some molds and a freezer. Uh, we were able to scale up to a fairly small piece of equipment that allowed us to use slightly bigger molds and submerge them in a super chilled liquid, which is a faster way <laughs> to freeze product. Um, and that's actually still the core of the type of process we use today. I mean, that's the standard process for making what are called molded novelties, uh, where you're filling up a mold and freezing it. There are other ways to make different types of novelties, but but the ones that we make fall into that category. Although at increasingly you know large levels of scale, you know how, how much you can freeze at any one time. Um, initially, our first piece of equipment that that was not just go set it in the freezer that actually gave us that liquid bath could do I think four sets of twenty, maybe twenty four. Uh, pops at a time so roughly 96 and uh, 
you would set them in there and set a timer for 15 to 20 minutes, come back, and they would be frozen, and you would pull them out. And then we didn't have any fancy packaging equipment, so we would by hand insert them into little plastic bags, use a little hand heat sealer to close them, and put stickers on the bag to, to label them. So that's, that's where it all started. And so uh, kind of during the non-peak seasons, were you more focused on classes, or were you trying to come up with, like, because I can't imagine you were doing a ton of popsicle making in the winter in college, or am I wrong? Oh, I'm sure there was some, but some. You know, seasonality <laughs> helps us again in that regard because demand is definitely lower. Uh, but there would be preparation. You know, we worked on things like scaling up our improving our packaging process or creating new flavors uh, that did require being involved in the manufacturing process. You know, when you talk about the balance, it certainly swung back and forth day to day, week to week, but we were busy and we were busy with school and we were busy with the business because we knew that the time was going to come when it was just going to be the business and it was going to have to be able to take off the way that we hoped it would, uh, you know, to, to allow us to keep it going. Right. And was there kind of a moment in time where you realized, okay, this is very viable as a full-time business? There were definitely a few moments, you know, and a lot of it, as it does for many startups, came around successful customer acquisition. You know, as we transitioned from farmer's markets to a retail-based model, there were moments where we got the yes from retailers, and not always necessarily, you know, big, although we work with many big retailers, but just even those first 10, 20, 30 stores where you would get a yes, know that great, 20 grocery stores are now going to have my product available 24-7, you know, when they're mm-hmm. open and I no longer have to wake up at 3.30 in the morning, I will be making money without having to be there handing it out one at a time. You know, that's an impressive thing, key to our business model, you know, to, to be scalable, but when you finally achieve that and, and succeed and succeed looks like, you know, it not just going to the retailer, but it's getting out of the retailer into consumers' homes. When you see that start to happen, you know, we know that we've got a model that can work and that can scale. Let's fast forward to today. Let's can you tell our audience what Johnny Pops looks like now in terms of number of employees, retailers, uh, manufacturing location? Yeah, so I mentioned, you know, you can find us at over 10,000 retailers in all 50 states. You know, we work with big names. We work with with Kroger and a variety of their banners, you know, coast to coast, Ralph's out in California, Fred Meyer, King Supers, of course, their core Kroger banner, Roundies and Mariano's. We work with Target across their national footprint. Uh, we work with Costco in most regions of the country. Sprouts uh, is a huge partner of ours as well across our whole line from our conventional dairy items to our dairy-free and our organic SKUs. Uh, and then specialty independent and regional you know, grocery chains all across the country like Wegmans, HEB, Publix, which in some total get us above 10,000 know, uh, retail outlets. Um, we also have products that are specially tailored towards the food service channel. I mentioned that we have a, a, a set of products that we work with schools on. Uh, so all in all, we've got over 50 active SKUs, you know, that we sell today, a, few, a little over 20 different flavors, you know, that you can find of our products. We're about 85 people on the Johnny Pumps team. So we added our first full-time employee about the same time that we graduated from school and, and started working full-time on the business back in 2014. And so it's been really, really cool to see that, to see that grow. 
Who was or what was your first full-time employee? What role was it? Uh, it was a production manager oh, to help important. us continue to make more product as we were scaling up. And um, what and he's you, still with us today. He's still, oh he's still with us today. So that's a testament to the culture. Absolutely. Yes. Um, what do you, well, maybe maybe culture is the answer to this question. What do you attribute Johnny Pop's growth and success to? Just because I think we do see, unfortunately, a lot of businesses not really make it off the ground. You know, I think it's tough to put success just on one single factor. Mm-hmm. Because I, I don't think success or failure <laughs> works that way uh, that there's one single root cause um, certainly for us you know we've always had uh, a core pillar of being a, a great products company and our product is at the, at the center of what we do every day you know make and ship great products and um, the fact that we've had that from the beginning and we still have that today uh, allows us to keep introducing the product to new people and continue to grow because when people try the product they keep coming back now that's simple to say and much harder to execute on. <laughs> uh, so there's a lot that goes into making that happen. Uh, that's important to creating success. Certainly, great people. You know, as we have grown, we've put a heavy focus on adding great people to our team who share the values that we have around making great products for a great cause and doing that as intentionally uh, as we can. You know, we have a set of core values, striving for excellence in everything we do, you know, is, is one of them because it's really hard to scale rapidly and succeed if you're always in a process of redoing things you've already done. Mm-hmm. Uh, although that certainly can come with the territory when you're growing rapidly, that's something that seemed to make sense a year ago now just doesn't seem to fit anymore. But all that's, you know, really central to allowing us to keep introducing people to the product. How did six out of the top seven best performing tech stocks gain visibility and control over financials, inventory, planning, and budgeting with NetSuite by Oracle? Answers at netsuite.com slash code, netsuite.com slash code. I think you gave a lot of great advice right there to entrepreneurs, but if you Is there any other advice that you, maybe one salient lesson that you would give? You know, in general, it is, it's a lot of hard work. I think that from the outside looking in, somehow everything always seems like an overnight success. Mm -hmm. And that's, we become aware of a new brand or a new product and, oh my goodness, they're just blowing up. That, you know, happened so fast. It looks so easy. Almost always there was, a lot of time and a lot of effort put in to make that happen that wasn't seen by you know people on the outside so it uh growing is work mm-hmm. <laughs> it it takes dedication and commitment to the cause I, I wish there was a silver bullet to it but sticking to the core principles and executing against that consistently over a period of time with a lot of effort <laughs> uh can make you know can really move you a long ways mm-hmm. especially if the, that core thesis about what your business and product are are rock solid now your co-founder eric is the ceo and you are the cfo was that kind of decided kind of how did you both make that decision and are there skills personality traits or other attributes that kind of make you a better fit uh for cfo 
instead of, you know, bringing someone in or whatever it might be, because that's a tough role. Yeah, you know, it's something that um, we've looked at over the years to really go all the way back to how it happened. You know, at, at a certain point in time, everyone is doing everything yes. in the startup process, right? You can have whatever title you want. But uh, the work just has to get done, and there's a very small number of people who are available to do it. So anoint yourself whatever title you please, but it doesn't change what, what needs to happen. Right. As, you know, and when that's happening, you, still, you do start to see who's really excelling at what. You know, if everyone's doing everything because there's only two of us or three of us or four of us doing it, we can start to say who's good at what. And then as processes mature, as the team starts to grow you're able to identify, well, you seem to be much happier doing that work and, you know, and more competent at it than I feel like I am. So why don't you keep doing that? I'll do this bit over here, you know, divide and conquer, right? Yeah. Um, as, as strategies and processes and products start to get nailed down. And so a lot of that happened. You know, I think that my background having, you know, both the economics, business management, education, along with the technical knowledge from the computer science side of the degree is fairly well suited. You know, I certainly didn't uh, take like a traditional finance degree, CPA track education, uh, but the skills that I did gain <laughs> were a, a pretty good fit for the types of challenges that, uh, you know, we were faced with from a finance and administrative and business process and you know perspective uh, on our growth journey. I kind of think it's like your background made for a killer combination because it was, I think it's less than half of CFOs now have CPAs. I mean, people are just coming from all different backgrounds and just showing they're good at adopting technology, they're good at communicating, they're good with numbers, and that's what, that's what matters. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the CFO role can take a variety of shapes, you know, for different organizations and businesses. But at least part of the way that we view it and that I view it is it is an opportunity to design effective business processes that allow the business to do, you know, the things that it needs to do better with better data, you know, a higher level of efficiency and, uh, you know, empower things like better decision making, uh, across management, whether that's through, uh, you know, through training and education and partnership or the types of tools that you bring to the table to empower people. Uh, but, but it certainly can be that role. In addition to all the traditional compliance, uh, you know, bookkeeping type uh, transactional work that, that has to happen. I mean, that is a table stakes for a finance and accounting organization to be able to meet those uh, criteria but it can be an organization changing role as well if if you empower you know the rest of the business to achieve its goals okay you can't talk about like empowering people with tools without me asking about netsuite can i ask how that like kind of played a role in um helping grow the business i'm sorry net what no, <laughs> what, what podcast am i on <laughs> Uh, so we've been uh, with NetSuite for five years at this point. So okay. half of our half of our journey. And uh, for us, you know, we use it to run essentially all of our core business applications on. And we found that to be a significant advantage. You know, 
we had the advantage of not being around long enough to be burdened with some legacy technologies. Mm -hmm. So when we were ready to, as we were scaling, you know, we were able to adopt a very progressive mentality on what technology should do for us, what that technology stack should look like. So we never had, you know, for example, in the migration to the cloud, legacy on-premise systems to migrate away from, we were in a position just to turn on the cloud when we were ready for it, which was really cool. And so when we started evaluating solutions, we just from day one said the only types of solutions we're willing to entertain are cloud-based ERP solutions. Now we have this problem set features, you know, like now we can have a conversation from there, but let's look. And, and, you know, so that would have been 2016, 17 or so when we were having those conversations, NetSuite was already very well established as a leader in cloud ERP, you know, native cloud ERP technology, uh, you know, where a lot of other solutions were like, we took our on-premise solution and we shoehorned it into the cloud and that kind of works. Right. And, um, you know, we ended up selecting NetSuite as, as the optimal solution for us because we really believed in the technology direction and in particular the feature set that exists in NetSuite around, um, you know, Suite Cloud, the ability to configure and customize the system without an extreme amount of professional or technical services that need to be brought to bear. And our growth rate you know, has continued. Since we implemented NetSuite, we've grown over 400%. So wow. significant growth mm-hmm. through no fault of anyone. If we had really tried to pin down every business process when we implemented, those processes would have been obsolete very quickly. Mm-hmm. Not because people did a bad job, <laughs> but Everything's because just moving fast. <laughs> the business had changed in ways, I don't even say they couldn't have been foreseen, but but that require a different solution to be put in place. And we felt very strongly that the technology that NetSuite brought was going to allow us to take that journey mm-hmm. more seamlessly. Uh, certainly it's a journey and there are pumps, but more seamlessly than, than the other solutions that were out there. Well, we did kind of have a bump with the whole, you know, pandemic and supply chain issues and inflation and talent shortage. Um, how have you found any of like the past specifically to Johnny Pops the last two and a half years kind of challenging and kind of, how did you overcome those issues? Yeah, I, the last few years have, have certainly been challenging, you know, from a macroeconomic perspective. Our business has been very fortunate in that we have uh, continued to execute well and continue to thrive, you know, entered new markets, released new products that have allowed us to continue to grow uh, throughout that time period. But that exacerbates some of those challenges we were you know, talk, talking about. Supply chain comes to mind. Um, but one area where we were able to navigate fairly seamlessly was transitioning from a in-the-office, everyday, sort of back-office function standpoint, accounting, finance, uh, you know, order processing, fulfillment, things like that, to a 100% remote organization literally overnight mm-hmm. without major disruption. I think we had to send some, some monitors home. Yeah. yeah keyboards. <laughs> uh, maybe a printer or two. But that was the total extent of our migration from a in the office every day organization to a remote organization, which is where we are today. You know, we were able to get paperless. We were able to get collaborative and, and do it all very seamlessly because 
Our team can go to netsuite.com as long as they have internet access and a computer. And we had done a good job of, of keeping our processes efficient and optimized within the NetSuite ecosystem. Now, if NetSuite has a silver bullet for my inflation or supply chain problems, I'd be very excited to hear about we're it. Working about, we're yeah. working on it, everyone. <laughs> but uh, in reality, those were challenges that our team has been working on consistently uh, for the past two to three years at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that we don't have to worry about some of the other problems, you know, that could come with our scaling, that could come with the transition from, um, you know, allow us to focus on the problems that are really thorny <laughs> and really matter. Mm-hmm. And, in you know, having a solution like NetSuite in place allows us to get access to data to see what's really happening. You know, we use MRP functionality within NetSuite, which when things shift within the supply chain allows us to rerun a supply plan and, and replan what needs to happen there fairly seamlessly across a pretty complex number of moving pieces. And again, focus on solving the problems that really matter. So we have a vendor who's not performing or is unable to perform or commodities that are difficult to procure. NetSuite's not going to solve that problem for us. So let's just have it get as much of the other work that's needed to run the business out of the way so we can go talk to more vendors or we can work with that vendor on a solution or we we can reformulate a product to, to use a slightly different component all of which is super important, allows us to overcome those challenges, you know, price our products appropriately, plan appropriately, eliminate waste uh, that, that can overcome those hurdles. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I have to go back to this because it is still just in, in my head, the fact that you became a CFO without necessarily having the, in quotes, traditional path to CFO. What were the skills in that area that you found hardest to learn and what would you like to kind of learn going forward? Oh, that's a great question. I, I'm going to piggyback, I guess, on my least favorite area and that uh, would be tax. Oh, good Lord. I don't know that I know that much about tax. So, you know, you say, is that what you want to learn more about? No, if I could never have to deal with tax again, I would probably be thrilled, but it, you know, we live with it. <laughs> yes. If I never had to pay taxes again, I would also be thrilled, but I tried that. No, I, okay. I, I, I don't, I don't think that's going to fly either. Um, you know, so, so that's always been an area where, where there's there's a lot of complexity there. It's always moving. It's not a lot of fun. So uh, I'll put that in that bucket over there. You know, areas to continue uh, to, to learn and grow. Uh, you know, for us, we are always looking for ways, as, especially as our supply chain continues to grow, to uh, make the process of collecting operational data and translating it into financial data and minimizing the amount of manual effort that goes into that process and getting insights to operational team members you know so people who aren't don't have a finance background but have the ability to make significant impacts on financial outcomes day to day because they're doing the work um, make that process as seamless as possible. You know, real-time operational data, getting to the right people as quickly as possible so that they can make changes to what they're doing, whether that's procurement or shipping and logistics or warehousing or parts of the manufacturing team, maintenance, whatever it might be. You know, operational data for us has, has a ton of moving pieces. <laughs> Consumption, Especially production, now, yes. scrap, waste, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, throughput, labor, and we have ways of capturing it all, but so many different inputs you know, coming from people, coming from machines, that for us, that's, you know, an opportunity to further streamline that collection and integration, you know, deepen it within our NetSuite ecosystem, 
um, and then leverage the always increasing number of analytics options available to us to, to find insights and then push them out as quickly as possible to the people who can really do something about it. And if you were creating a dashboard for yourself and God forbid you can only choose like three metrics to be on there, what are going to be your top three that you personally want to see every day? That I want to see every day. Um, you know, one thing that learning to become a CFO drills into your head, I want to see cash. Yes. I yeah. want to see cash. Don't we all? <laughs> I want to see cash every day. What do we got? And what's moving around. But if I could pick one cash metric, it would be cash on hand. You know, the other thing critical for us is is, is sales flow. You know, we're a very heavily, I think every business cares a lot about sales. You know, when we're scaling, right, business development, sales growth, super critical uh, to us being on track for our objectives. So revenue metric, probably bookings. I, I like to be at the bleeding edge, so I want to see bookings as they come in. Let's see how, how the orders are shaping up. And then for us in manufacturing, uh, inventory. How are the inventories looking? Do we have the product that we need to have to be able to fill the orders? Because our average order lead time is less than two weeks. Um, there are certainly custom made-to-order products that operate on significantly longer lead times, but you know, product flowing from a manufacturer like us into a grocery store, that's something where day-to-day, week-to-week, additional orders are being cut, additional product is flowing, uh, and so we need to be ready to respond <laughs> to whatever is happening within our retailer or distributor supply chains on less than two weeks notice. Wow. Yeah. And so I don't know if our listeners have been doing some math over here, but you are young. And so you were under you were on the 30 under 30 class in 2018. Um, can you tell our listeners about that? Yeah, it was a great honor. You know, Eric and I were both selected as, as the co-founders of Johnny Pops uh, as a part of the, the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. Um, you know, certainly a great honor to be published on that list and in the magazine. Um, and then as a part of that, you know, they host an event uh, that, uh, you know, they get as many people who, who are able to travel uh, together uh, who were on that year's list. Uh, and we met a lot of great people, you know, from all across the country. You know, it, I think it has a, a stigma as being, you know, a lot of Silicon Valley folks. And there certainly were some great Silicon Valley entrepreneurs who were selected to the list. But, you know, and I hope I don't get this wrong. I believe Kendrick Lamar was also on the list the same year we were. Wow. So there were some really cool, There's, interesting yes. people who were on there. Again, it's, it, it's a great honor. You know, we were nominated, selected, um, you know, and they do some due diligence, interview us, had us send out samples of the product, you know, to try and things like that. And so we, we knew we were under consideration and, and we're, we're just honored to be selected when, when the final list uh, was released. It was, you know, some nice notoriety. We, of course, used that to talk to our retailers and our customers about how you know awareness of our brand and our product and, and, and its quality and interest uh, was growing across the country and, and we're able to, to use that to, to grow our market presence you know coast to coast which you know has contributed to the ongoing success of the business beyond Eric and I um, personally and you know although Eric and I were the ones honored on the list our team was smaller then than it is today but we didn't accomplish any of what we did alone in a vacuum. Um, so it was a testament to all the really hard work that a whole bunch of people did, you know, to, to scale us from, from farmer's markets to where we were in 2018 uh, just to get to that point. And, of course, it's continued you know, to, to allow yes. us to continue to expand. Yes. 
And I am, I'm cognizant, we're coming up on the end of our time. I'm gonna ask you two very important questions to finish out. One, can you give a brief summary to the audience of any, what's Johnny Pop's future vision? What are you looking to do going forward? Absolutely, well, you know, today you can find Johnny Pops at a lot of retail locations, over 10,000 as we've talked about. Check However, we have data available from the marketplace that also tells us that that collection of locations still only represents about 25% of the total locations in the United States where people buy products like ours, grocery stores, mass merchandisers, you know, whatever the different types of stores are. So quick back and napkin math here, that leaves roughly 75% of the market untapped. And we want to bring our products there. You know, we, we see lots of opportunity there. Uh, the frozen desserts, novelty space, you know, novelty, it's in the name, right, uh, is also driven by fun and exciting innovation. It's a very fun business to be in in that regard. And so we are going to continue finding new, exciting, and delicious ways to bring better tasting, better for you frozen treats uh, to the marketplace that people can feel great about, uh, while also helping us make the world a better place one pop at a time. So uh, we expect to continue growing new markets, new stores, and, and, and great new products. Um, you know, that, that's what makes it, that, that's what happens out in the marketplace, you know, and what makes that possible is continuing to add really talented, really passionate people to our team. Well, if you're looking to hire a taste tester, I would like to submit my name. I think taste testing goes with the territory for every one of our uh, every one of our team members at Johnny Pops. But uh, we, we frequently are, uh, you know, depending on when you're listening to this, we probably are hiring, uh, you know, because we, we are always looking to add great people to the team. Awesome. And this is, I hope this is not too hard of a question to end on. What is your favorite flavor of Johnny Pops? Well, it's a hard question because over the course of 10 years, it's a moving target. Mm -hmm. I really love the new products that we release because they're exciting and fun. I, I, I go for that just like so many people do. Uh, but ultimately, I think I have to go for the old standby, our strawberries and cream product. Yes. It is just so good. You know, we spend a ton of time finding some of the best strawberries in the world um, to put into that product because we don't cover it up with artificial flavors or colors. Like mm -hmm. the straw, the, the berries are the color, are the flavor, uh, and we're very cognizant of that fact. Uh, and what do you get? You get a fantastic product made with fantastic berries, and you know, and, and I love strawberries, so it's hard to say no to that. It really is, and now I'm craving that. Thank you. <laughs> Well, Connor, it was so great having you on. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Well, guys, how great was that episode? I personally cannot imagine starting a business in my college dorm room. Uh, what Connor said about sticking to core values and principles to drive the success and growth of a company really struck me personally. Um, I think it's just so easy to start doubting yourself and wondering if it's truly going to work. But Johnny Pops just epitomized the fact that a rock solid commitment to your vision, it goes a long way. And I will admit, I went out and bought some strawberries and cream Johnny Pops after recording the interview with Connor. And I'm not being paid for this statement. They were very delicious. So thank you so much to Connor Ray for joining us on the podcast. Definitely an episode to remember. And thank you, of course, to our editing team over at Lampstand and for all of you for tuning in. If you want more episodes just like this one, make sure you subscribe to our channel and give us a rating and a review. 
Until next time, talk soon. You just listened to the NetSuite podcast. Be sure to tune in every week with more NetSuite developments, stories, and insights into the benefits of one integrated system to help you run your business.